Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Uh, for some reason, I had a little bit of technical difficulty for some reason. But, hey, we're here. Uh, we're clear. Get used to it. Uh, so... Jim, here's what I think I know. Uh, people have cooled tremendously on the quarterback class. How many of you have ever heard this before? There was a lot of excitement just about, oh, as recently as seven, eight, nine months ago about the quarterback class, and then something happened, and, and now it's no longer a good class. The running back class is historically good, maybe one of the best classes of all time, uh, the edge class is muddled. There's no clear front runner, leader, whatever. Uh, let's see. The yeah. cornerback class uh, it has some good guys in it, but once again, no one who's a slam dunk. Uh, the safety class, well, here's the good news, is better than usual. Uh, the pursuit off-the-ball, non-pass-rushy, true 4-3 linebacker class is a little soft, and the tight end class is lacking the Greg Olson, Travis Kelsey, Jason Witten type. There are some guys who are fast and can catch the ball. There are some guys who can block, but very few who can do all of the above. Does any of this sound familiar to you? Sounds like last year's draft, to be honest. (laughs) What the heck happened? Are we trapped in some sort of time loop? Maybe. Maybe. Well, I kind of want to start because this is a funny thing. So uh, I I did some more quarterback data stuff, and I'm amazed at how many quarterbacks took a step back this year. And, like, almost every quarterback, that you could think of took a step back, whether from a from a statistical standpoint. Uh, for, you know, for example, Austin Allen, right, Arkansas. Last year he was a sixty point four four. This year, thus far this year, he's a twenty two point nine four. Yikes! So he took a giant uh, step back in efficiency. Back. He, he he fell off the back off a cliff. I know. But but then you get to even guys like Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield went from 93.55 to 84.79, which is not bad. But took a you know took took a step back. Uh, Brett Riffin from Boise State. He was 69.21 last year, 29.11 this year. You know, um, now it's halfway into the season. But like, what the heck is going on? Even Danny Etling even. Danny Etling, you know, the... <laughs> no, say it ain't so about Danny Etling, not our Danny Etling. He goes he goes from a 65.82 to 23.26. Like, 
Like, even that guy, J.T. Barrett. Say what you want about Baker Mayfield or Sam Donald, but you leave Daddy out like a low Jim Coburn. Okay, okay. But then you get J.T. Barrett. He went from 92.06 to 73.07, which, I mean, you know, it's expected. Jake Browning went from 89.66 to 57.44. Uh, Jalen Hurts, from out, of course, this is expected, but he went from, like, 84.42 to 79.65. Not bad, but you know, not as good. Josh Allen, of course, went from 26.07 to 8.8. Um, so <laughs> he wasn't starting very good, and he didn't really get much better. Uh, it tricked the schedule got easier, though, which is kind of the thing I think people don't talk about. Uh, Josh Rosen, uh, he went from a 61.24, of course, this is when he was healthy, uh, to a 45.60 healthy. Um, so, like, you know, he did this. Lamar Jackson, of course, remember, he was supposed to take a big step forward. He went from a 48.40 last year uh, to a 28.05 this year. And his touchdown interception ratio went from 84.42 last year to 19.25 this year. So, I don't – you know, all the talk of Lamar Jackson improving, I, I based on what's happened over the course of the season – Debatable. I mean, I do think he improved, but it, it definitely is debatable from a decision-making standpoint. Of course, Luke Falk. Luke, Luke Falk. You know, good good guy, Luke Falk, right? Dependable. Luke Falk went from 94.99 to 71.67. Of course, a lot of that probably had to do with the Cal game, but still. Uh, Mason Rudolph actually improved. He went from 81.87 to 86.40. So, you know, a little – Improvement. Uh, Riley Ferguson took a little step back, went from 72.87 to 62.43. Biggest improvement of all was Ryan Finley. He went from 48.38 last year to 90.12 this year. And then lastly, I guess Sam Darnold of USC went from 97.07 last year. He was by far the best quarterback in college football last year based on all the data to a 40.53 this year with a 4.12 touchdown-to-interception ratio, which is obviously the big issue um, in terms of, like, his biggest sort of drop-off. But, yeah, all the quarterbacks took massive steps back, just on paper, you know, not even talking about film, just paper-wise. It was uh, it was a massive drop-back. And right now I'm trying to – trying to decide, like trying to figure this out, I guess is the best way to put it, because normally, normally you want your quarterbacks to improve, you know, year after year. Um, you don't want them to get worse. I mean, there's definitely <laughs> some cases. There's definitely some no, players. There's definitely a couple quarterbacks that take a step back uh, in their final year and end up still being good. Uh, but the step yeah, back was Dan Marino, but keep in mind, Dan Marino went from like a 97.80 to a poor year of 83. You know what I'm saying? So like, it wasn't like he took like a giant step back into the – like he didn't go from being 97 plus to 40.53. You, you understand what I'm saying in terms of the depth of how bad he became? Um, so I guess that's my – I guess that's my biggest point is just I I don't know what happened. Like every quarterback took a step back. Every single quarter, at least up to the midpoint, you know, uh, so far this year. Um, 
at least the mainstream guys, you know, for the most part. I mean, I mentioned guys like Ryan Finley. He's kind of mainstream, I, I guess, but um, <clears throat> it's just um, it's just amazing. I've never I've never seen anything like this. Huh? Like this? I mean, much. you take it individual by individual, you can come up with reasons and narratives and things. But when you look at, when you're saying you're looking at the, all of them as a group. Yikes. Uh, let me ask you, has, will you take a look at the the Logan Whipsides and the Brett Stockfields and the Chase Littons and things like that to see and Kyle Levins and Jeremiah Briscoe's and, and the like to see if, if the, the same sort of vein runs through this whole thing or if it's simply a function of the top guys having suffered? Right. Well, let me... Well, let me look, because I, I do understand what you're saying. Um, so let me go here. Let's see here. So, yeah, you mentioned Chase Linton. see what I got for Mr. Chase. Chase Linton has a 32.15. Oh, okay. And last year he was a 42.77. Okay, so a step, a step back, but nothing super dramatic. Yeah, okay. not, what not about, uh, too bad. Logan Woodside. Logan Woodside, okay, Logan Woodside. Ooh, 35.69. And last year, he was a... Just double check on this. Oh, 82.24. So he was wow, really good last year. Yeah. Yeah, he huh. took a step back for whatever reason. Uh, I mean, last year he was, like, in the 90s plus. The only thing that kind of dragged his score, because keep in mind, these scores are basically taking the touchdown interception ratio, the completion percentage, and adding strength of schedule, sort of a, a barometer type of, you know, like a weight, a weight kind of, you know. So he did pretty good for his level of competition last year. This year... Uh, not uh, so much. Yeah. So I don't know how to. I really don't know how to explain this year. But I can tell you is there. There's a lot of. There's a lot of quarterbacks. I mean, like uh, let, let me see. Who, what's that? What's the Northwestern quarterback? Oh yeah, Clayton Thorson. Uh, no, you know, first round high. Little baby high. I mean, it's a little yeah. high. Yeah, I know. But uh, he he has a forty six point nine four score currently, oh. so that's yeah that's not gonna happen. Of course, Jared Stidham, Jared Stidham isn't bad. I mean, he's kind of hanging. Out. I mean, there's a couple quarterbacks that are in within striking range. I guess is the best way to put it uh, to improvement. And and surprisingly, the the quarterbacks that have like the, the like I'll just basically say you know like the top the ninety plus quarterbacks right now are Manny Wilkins from Arizona State, Kelly Bryant from Clemson. Of course he's injured, and he's also a, a freshman or something like that. Um, uh, James Blackman. Yeah, right. Uh, James Blackman from Florida State, and then Ryan Finley. So I don't know what's going on weird but 
I'm just saying, if, if everybody hates the quarterback class, but like there is stuff on paper that would that would lead you to believe, since the majority of all the quarterbacks have not made much improvement, except for a no, couple. I'm just of glad Zeke got better, but I could be wrong. Um, uh, with uh, well, here's the guy who I think got better, but I could be wrong. I mean, once again, it's just sort of an eye test thing. But um, uh, oh shoot, um, Eric Dungeons. Yeah. Uh, tell, tell me about Eric Dungey and Kenny Hill. Those are guys that look oh, like Syracuse. Eric Dungey at Oh, yeah, Eric Dungey at Syracuse. Um, I can kind of already say no. But, yeah, he was 76.95 last year. And this year, Eric Dungey is 30.36. Oh, oh, all right. Well, yeah, okay. Well, then we'll uh, uh, yeah. Woo. Um. Same question about um. Um. Kenny, uh, the artist pulling a Kenny Trill, uh, Kenny Hill. Oh yeah, Kenny Hill improved. I mean, Kenny Hill has a fifty-eight point eight three, and last year he was uh, what was it? He was like thirty something. Oh, yeah, he was 26.18 last year, and this year he's 58.38. The only thing that's really holding him down is his uh, touch-under-sense ratio. Okay. He's pretty bad right now. Right. Okay. So, if you were putting together a most improved team on offense and defense, it sounds like your quarterbacks would be Ryan Finley and... Who's who's there with one of your second teamer? Oh, uh, Manny Wilkins. Oh, right. From Arizona State. Uh, Kelly, I mean, I wouldn't really say Kelly Brown, but yeah, Manny Wilkins. And uh, the other guy that improved, Mason Rudolph, but slightly, not a ton, but marketable. We're going by degree of improvement, so he'd be like an honorable mention or something. Because right. it wasn't that dramatic improvement. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Okay. Uh, well, let's move on. Let's talk wide receivers. Who, who would be the wide receiver who made the greatest improvement, metrically speaking, when you look at guys who, are, or who would be maybe the top five? In terms of improvement, um, I mean, I would say Calvin Ridley definitely, you know, because Ridley went from not being uh, starter level market chair to, to being like Pro Bowl level. So, you know, that's definitely sort of an improvement there. Odd and Tate. Another guy that pretty much went from being kind of yeah to you know pretty good improvement and and pretty much all the wide receivers this year uh, that broke out like a lot of the wide receivers that really did well last year like uh, Cortland Sutton or uh, Richie James you know like those types of guys that were really really productive last year 
they've been kind of slow to start this year with a lot of those guys. So it's been kind of like that too with with some of those guys. And a lot of the guys that are like really productive right now are are a lot of new names, I guess, is the best way to put it. So moving on, uh, I can probably guess who some of the running backs are. Uh, I'm assuming a guy like Bryce Love, uh, probably, even though he wasn't a starter last year, but who are? Well, I'm all assuming. Just tell me, who are some of the guys, and if there are guys who maybe made great strides in the wrong direction, I guess you can miss them as well, but who are the guys that made the greatest moves amongst the running back class in terms of up, and if there's guys who, you know, fell off the cliff, who might those guys be? Right. Well, I, I guess in terms of, um, you know, marketable improvement, I mean, you, yeah, you would say Bryce Love definitely fits in that category. John Kelly from Tennessee, you know, fits in that category. Um, Phil Lindsay from Colorado, you know, he's definitely one of those guys. But there's a, a ton of other, and of course Rashad Penny, but there's a lot of guys that we kind of expected, like Barkley and Crum Wadley and, you know, Ito Smith, you know, from Southern Miss. Um, you know, those are guys that we pretty much expected. Jeffrey Wilson from North uh, Texas. Uh, you know, those types of guys. So uh, the guys that kind of haven't really done a ton, guys like Darius Geis, you know, has not really lived up to the billing, you know, because I, I remember distinctly there was these groups of people, you know, as there is in every year still, where you have like one group where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, part of the Barclays, you know, we're a gang type thing, and, oh, we're part of the Geises, you know. <laughs> They, when we get into little fights online and it's like, oh, yeah, Barkley's number one. No, Geis is number one. And Geis hasn't really done anything this year, and I don't really know why. But, um, but yeah, he's one of those guys that just hasn't quite made any marketable improvement. Has it, and uh, and if, if he had not had the season he had last year, he wouldn't even really register as a potential Pro Bowl guy, because his Pro Bowl season was last year. This year, it was just not even, not even there for the most part at LSU. Yeah. You know, and then there was a, a Kalen Balaj hive or whatever that was kind of pushing him for yeah. reasons I never fully understood. <laughs> and not that but I he hasn't like, done anything. So I never understood how people were trying to get him into RB1 conversation. He he wasn't he never looked like the number one RB in the state of Arizona at times. I mean, there was the Pac-12. I mean, maybe he's in the top five running back in the Pac-12. You know, but I just never understood the talk of him being you know a possible first rounder. That's never I never got that. Well, I never got it either. And you know, he had that Texas Tech game. And that's what it is. It's like one game. A guy has one really good game, and then you you worship that one game, and then you just don't watch any other games. And, you know, if you would have watched the other games, you would have seen some issues start to pop up, you know, usage issues, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I understand there's lots of people who go, well, that coach was just dumb, and, you know, and, and that's why he didn't get more carries. But I just kind of think, you know, these guys are like college coaches – some college coaches definitely will 
will spite a guy and not play him because they have, you know, some beef with him. But at the same time, these guys are paid to win football games, you know, like to win college games. So, like, you know, that has to be some pretty big spite on the coaches to have. So, I don't know. I mean, what I do agree, Balazs hasn't really done that. Of course, Bo Scarborough has yet to launch – you know, and he definitely was a guy that people were talking about. He even still be a day two pick because he played at Alabama. You know, and he's he's probably going to look good in a you know in spandex. But you know, that's he just hasn't really done anything productive. You know, to really warrant. Um, you know, he hasn't produced. None of the backs at Alabama have really produced like any of the backs in the past, uh, like Ingram or even you know Trent Richardson. You know, um, so I just don't think it's uh, or Henry. So I don't think any of the backs of Alabama really have done um, the type of production indicative of a special player. Right. And, the, yeah, I assume the Bo Scarborough hype is funny. I'm, like, I'm not seeing it much anymore. I mean, unless, unless your timeline is very different from mine, it seems like all the Bo Scarborough hype have, have gone somewhere. Yeah, it's it disappeared. You know, it's, it's no longer, uh, you know, it's, it just doesn't exist anymore. And, I mean, I, I guess I've probably said it before. There's, I can't find any reason to believe that Bo Scarborough is even the best running back at Alabama, let alone, you know, the SEC. Well, because he isn't, you know. He isn't. I mean, he's a walking concussion maker. That's about it, you know. Like, he's – like, that's that's all and that's all he really does. You, you just have him run straight forward and, you know, hit a linebacker back. And that's pretty much all he does. But that's that's about it. You know, like he he doesn't really catch the football. He's not very dynamic um, from that from that stretch of imagination in terms of catching the football, and making plays. Uh, and he's not exactly powerful. He's not very powerful for his body. I mean, the physics. I mean, again, the physics of a 230 plus pound running back running downhill does get involved, but the actual breaking of tackles and playing like a guy as powerful as he should be is just not there, you know. So there's a disconnect from that stretch of imagination. And he isn't really as fast as Derrick Henry was, you know, for a back hit side. So uh, he might be one of those guys who runs like 4-6 or something like that, you know, to come by. Yeah, I don't think it's about power. I think it's about the ability to apply power. It's like a strong guy with no ability to use his leverage, you know, like there's powerful guys who get out leverage constantly because they, this is what they, you know, the technique guys come into play. They always say, well, you know, a technician would allow to do this, blah, 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 and that, blah, blah, blah. But whatever the reason, he seems to certainly be possessed of power, but unable to know where to put it or how to use it, is what I, I see when I watch Bill um, Scarborough. But on the rare occasions that he, is able to play very much, which, as you pointed out, despite his physically imposing nature, he's 
not very healthy uh, much of the time. Well, he's you know he's a big body, and when you're a big body, you you leave yourself open to you know getting hit more often. You know, it's just kind of the downside of being a big. You know, just ask Calvin Johnson. You know, um, when you're a big guy, you're bound to get more hits. You know, because there's more of you to hit. So, you know, right. Yeah. So that's the thing I, I've noticed when I have. I mean, I've, there's times I've made you know a particular concerted effort to watch both Carlo and then. You know, he gets nine carries, you know, and uh, gets out-touched by Damian Williams or whoever it is, and outplayed as well by, you know, whoever the other running back is. And, you know, I make my little notes, whatever notes I can make, about what I saw, and then I, you know, move on and think, you know, where is the excitement coming from? What is it that people... I mean, other than, as you said, being a concussion maker, but, I mean, when's the last time that led to long-term NFL success? You know what? You know, I mean, hey, I loved watching, you know, Bam Morris and whoever as much as the next guy, but you got to go back to, what, Earl Campbell defining pure, straight ahead, and even he had way better feet and obviously outproduced, you know, dramatically a guy like, uh, uh, a guy like Scarborough. Yeah, I, I, I just don't see it. And um, I'm, I'm assuming Penny Hendricks, uh, as they call it, um, Rashad Penny is probably one of the guys who is on that most improved list, or or, or where is he? Well, yeah, yeah, he, he's definitely most improved. But it's San Diego State, so like it's expected. I mean, they. I mean, I haven't done. I they for the last. The last three backs they've had at San Diego State, all of them have had um, 40-plus percent market share or higher, uh, you know. So um, it, it shouldn't be that surprising, to me at least, that they would have a back like Penny. Uh, he would get that type of carry, uh, you know, that carry type. So, um, you know, from that perspective, he is the most improved, but I wouldn't say it's the most least un- – like it's it's not unexpected, I guess is what I'm saying, because they don't really do committees. Uh, I mean, they definitely have backs who come in and do a little thing here and there, but they usually have one back who, who does all the like, lion's share of everything, you know, type thing at San Diego State. Right. Which is how you like it, right, Jim? I mean, <laughs> you should be thrilled. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm thrilled about it. I'm, I'm just um, – I'm not going to say it's like Wisconsin, but like, you know, I, and I have, and I do like Finney. I, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think the biggest thing that people will point out is just that he's bigger, you know, the pump rate. <laughs> I don't want to point that out too much, but, uh, but so he's going to have less of that uneasiness, I guess. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think he's a solid back uh, in terms of what you asked him to do. I haven't seen anything particularly, uh, you know, special about him 100%, but I do think that he, you know, can get the job done. Um, and I think there's a lot of backs that are like that, uh, you know, like Edo Smith and, you know, guys like that that I think are, are just pretty solid all around, you know, um, number two, number three backs on the team, you know, who might who could be a good starter if they get the call, you know, for the most part. Okay. Now, Orleans, Orleans Darkwood type. 
I think that's the best way to put it. Dark, you know, Orleans oh. Dark Side. You mean guys that are better than other guys that people keep putting ahead of them on the death chart? But you force them to play them and they finally see the light? Yeah, exactly. You know, guys, guys from more prestigious schools start over them forever until they finally get, you know, a chance and then they, you know, then they do well. You know, those types of bags. Yeah, I, as you know, I have, I, I don't know, the term hive wasn't even in usage when I first began sort of banging the door or playing the dark one. And I am, you know, beyond pleased that finally he's getting a chance. I will be somewhat heartbroken if as soon as they can, they suddenly shove someone else in front of him on the depth chart. But that, that may well happen. But I've had my moment, I guess, so I'll, I'll enjoy it. So I know we've all kind of bemoaned already the tight end class, but are there tight ends who either fairly dramatically moved up or, I guess, if there is somebody who dropped off, is there anybody who, you know, sort of what we did with the quarterback, is there anybody who we should mention in terms of moving in the right direction and, of course, obviously, if there's somebody who's gone in the retrograde, I guess we should mention that as well. Well, the Titan class is pretty much it's it's pretty much become what it what it was last I mean, most of the guys that were really productive last year are really productive this year, like Adam Brenneman and you know, guys like that. Not a lot of guys have really taken a step back per se, except for maybe Matt Jasicki from, you know, Penn State. Um, who hasn't quite been as productive as he was last year. Uh, but then again, I didn't really like him that much. He kind of just has this Kyle Rudolph vibe to him, you know. Um, and yeah, again, there's me. nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with Kyle Rudolph. It's just we're paying you top five tight end money. We're paying you money to be something you're not, you know, is basically what I'm saying. Um But, uh, but yeah, not – they're really – I mean, and sure, improvement, I mean – um, anybody's really improved. I wouldn't really say so. I mean, there's definitely a, a lot of names, like new, a couple of new names here and there, but a lot of them are redshirt sophomores, so I don't really think they're going to declare, and they play at lesser schools. So, I mean, it would be very surprising for, um, you know, a guy like that to declare. So, and there's also that there's still this sort of debate with uh, the – the H back at uh, at North Carolina State. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Wait, are you talking about Jalen Sanders? No. Uh, yeah, Jalen Sanders and Naeem Hines are there too. You know, uh, almost positionless players that they uh, move around and try to find matchups for now. Naeem Hines has a slightly more defined role because he's, you know, Eric Metcalfy, and you can play him, you know, occasionally in the backfield, but he'll probably end up being a wide receiver or a slot receiver. But Jalen Sanders, who's kind of a slot receiver, kind of a running back, as you said, kind of an H-back, 
I don't think he can be a tight end in the traditional sense at the NFL level, at least, and really can't do it at collegiate level. Yeah. Well, I just yeah, I don't know what the NFL does anymore. That's that's basically what I'm really saying. Because they, you know, they'll take fullbacks and turn them into linebackers, and take linebackers and turn them into fullbacks, and take wide receivers and turn them into tight end. You know, I don't know what they what they're trying to do anymore um, at times. But um, but yeah, Sam and I do like Samuels. I just there's, there continues – it's labels, Bill. It's it's like when people were calling Jonathan Allen last year a defensive end or an edge player. He's going to – he is a 290-plus pound interior defensive lineman. He is not an edge player. He is never going to be someone that's going to be, you know, rushing the passer on the edge. Like, that's never going to be what he's going to be great at. You know, so I don't understand why – and and it's all because of what they were labeled. Like people can't seem to think outside the box at times. I guess the best way to put it. But um, but yeah, I, I would say he's kind of one of those guys where there has. I just keep seeing him listed as a tight end, and I'm like, have you one? Have you watched him play? Two, do you know what a tight end is? <laughs> Three, do you even know what the physical characteristics of a tight end is? You know, just starting from that point, um, I, I don't think you. Uh, you know, but yeah. Well, if, if if he is, as I assume, a shade under six feet tall, and about two hundred and I don't know, thirteen, fourteen pounds or something. I mean, I'm reminded of when Jimmy Johnson was in his final year at Oklahoma State. He had a terrific tight end named Ernest Thomas. Something like that. Who was almost exactly the same guy as Jalen Sanders physically. Quick, undersized, great hands, versatile. And he, you know, tore up the, well, what was then the Southwest Conference. Uh, no, wait, sorry, Big Eight. Sorry, Big Eight. Uh, what was then the Big Eight? Just tore it up. You know, had a great game against OU and all that stuff. And I don't know if he even had a moment of time in the NFL. I think he had some time in Canada, maybe. But and that was many years ago. Yeah, I mean, but the world hasn't changed, unfortunately, for undersized tight ends. I hope he's not in a good way. Yeah. But yeah, the tight end class is pretty much what it is. I mean, I I understand there's some Goder fans out there. I. I just and I do like Goedert, but is he a first round tight end? No, not really. Is he a day two tight end? Maybe. Would you lose your job if you took him day two? That yeah, yeah, maybe. So it's just one of those types of things. Like I do think he's a good player. I just don't think he's worth the risk in terms of where he's coming from and his physical attributes and all the other sort of stuff, you know, you know, all rolled in one. What, what, what are you getting in this package? And I don't think it's um, an elite player, I guess, at the NFL level. There's still people who rally around Mark Andrews. Uh, he of the rather checkered injury history. Uh, yeah. Based on, the work, based on the work you do, how does he, how does he look to you? He's coming up Jay Samaro, you know, you know, like 
Um, not as big as Jason Morrow, but like in terms of production and usage and everything else, he just kind of seems like a Jason Morrow clone. I have I have yet to hear the people talk about how he's not, you know, lined up in line, you know, to have those people come out of the woodwork. But um, uh, I mean he's. I haven't watched enough Oklahoma to really say whether they line him up. I have I've rarely ever seen him line up in line. I mean, it's very much um, him, you know, put, you know, out wider in the slot uh, at times. So, um, but yeah, I mean, his production's fine. Um, there's really nothing too crazy about it, though. Like, there's there's no eliteness to it, but it's definitely. Uh, at a level where you could see him as a starter or, you know, something like that. Okay. And uh, once again, I guess fullbacks don't really exist anymore enough to have a, a whole discussion of them. There's only probably a handful of them, you know, real fullbacks left in all college football, at least all of FBS football, I should say. Which is, you know, a little bit sad. Um, it's fun to see, you know, I mean, what's all the cool things when you see Michigan State or Wisconsin or, you know, Alabama in certain situations. Even Alabama doesn't have a fullback home field most of the time nowadays. So that brings us to defense. Who are the guys, I guess we'll start with, like, say, defensive tackle? Who's made the biggest improvement or change or move or whatever term we use amongst the tackle class, the defensive tackle class? Well, man, who's who's really improved? That's a good question. Um, hmm. In terms of interior, I mean, just specifically talking about interior defensive linemen, uh, there really hasn't been guys like Derek Nyandi, uh, for example, hasn't – I mean, he kind of took a step back, actually, uh, to a certain extent. Um, uh, there's guys like Trent Thompson, you know, from Georgia. He's the guy that had some, you know, some positive data coming in, and uh, he just hasn't really got much better from that point. And uh, Christian Wilkins, he's another guy that kind of took a step back somewhat production-wise. Uh, Harrison Phillips, same kind of difference. Andrew Brown from Virginia, kind of same difference as well. So a lot of defensive tackles, I mean, defensive attack, you know, interior defensive linemen um, did not really improve a ton um, from where they were last year. Uh, guys, like, there are some guys who are, like, pretty crazy, like Hercules Mata'afa, but you look at his size and all the other stuff and you go, this guy is not – I mean, NFL teams are not going to wait two, three years for him to put on 40 pounds, you know, of good weight, you know, to play interior defense alignment, or at least the way the NFL does what they do, you know. So he's one of those guys that's kind of in that weird um, place um, as a player. Um, uh, there are, But there are guys like, you know, Jalen Jelks at Oregon, he – He's kind of a guy who came out of nowhere to a certain extent. He's, he's put up uh, some pretty decent uh, production numbers. Dare uh, Odie Yingho or Odie Yingbo at Vanderbilt. 
Um, he's another guy who's, who's uh, kind of decent. I saw Logan Hunt at Georgia Southern. I saw him get uh, versus Auburn. He's pretty strong, um, nose tackle uh, type. It was it looked pretty impressive. Um, I guess Auburn at least in the game that I saw him in. And uh, and you know Deron Payne, he's been getting a lot of hype because uh, he you know his Alabama name and he does put up the profile he, of a he, nose tackle. He and Vita Vea have been the two who got the most hype amongst interior line. Yeah, but, but the prop the problem I have with that is these are nose tackle types and they're not elite nose tackle types because. And I get into debates with people about this all the time about nose tackles, and they go, well, nose tackles don't have to be productive, or nose tackles don't have to be this, they don't have to be that. But all the elite nose tackles were productive. Like, Holochinata was really productive when it came to solo tackles, and he did get sacks, and he did get TFLs. Uh, Vince Wilfork, right, the god of, like, you know, I, I would say, but, like, the nose tackle, everybody goes, wow, who's the best, like, who's, who's a great nose tackle of, uh, you know, over the last 10 years or whatever. Uh, you go, oh, Vince Wolfhart. He was a guy tremendously productive. Cortez Kennedy, you know, like, there's, there's tons of dudes. Casey Hampton, um, any nose tackle you can think of. Damon Harrison, really productive guy, you know. So, uh, and, and, of course, you got guys like Danny Shelton, who hasn't got notoriety yet, but he's another guy who's really, really productive. So, people have this sort of myth in their mind that, well, nose tackles don't have to be productive. When, yeah, they do. All I can really say about a guy like Payne is he is producing sort of like a nose tackle. He has good solo tackle numbers. And, again, solo tackle numbers are kind of the best indicator for nose tackles because it's telling you uh, their ability to get, you know, sideline to sideline to a certain extent. You know, basically the ability to make plays away from the line of scrimmage. You don't necessarily have to have a ton of sacks and a ton of TFL. You just need to be able to get tackles. And uh, my big thing is he is doing that, but he's not delivering on the sacks department. He's not delivering on the TFL department. And those are the departments that most really great nose tackles delivered on. So from that perspective, that's my only issue with Deron Payne with people calling him like a generational whatever is he's not producing like the generational nose tackle. So why, why, why is this guy a generational nose tackle when he's not producing like a generational nose tackle? I guess that's my biggest question with a guy like Payne. Hmm. Can the same be said of uh, Abita Vea or what's the story with him? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, not really at this point. Um, I mean, he hasn't really – I mean, based on all the stuff that I've done so far with, with Via, he hasn't really produced well in any one metric, whether you're talking solo tackle sack or TFL, up to this point at the midway point of the season. Um, last year, he was – just kind of double – last year, he he had okay sack data, you know, but his solo tackle data wasn't that great, and that's – Again, that's the most important trait I look for, when it, like, as a data trait. The most important data trait that I usually look for when it comes to uh, nose tackles is solo tackle data, you know, how, how much their solo tackle market share stuff is. And VIA was a 49.73 last year, 
when you really need him to be in the 85 to 87 range, which is where guys like Vince Wilfork and Nata and, you know, all those guys were. You know, they were in that 80-plus area when it came to solo tackle data. So, and Via hasn't really... Casey, we have a guy like Casey Hampton. Right, Casey Hampton, same difference. He was a guy who had that, he was in that 80-plus area of solo tackle data. Didn't have a ton of sacks, didn't have a ton of TFLs. He did have some sacks and TFLs. It's just that he had a really, really disproportionate amount of solo tackles, um, which is really telling for nose. Like, that's the biggest indicator. Like, the difference between nose tackles and all the other positions is that, yeah, they don't get as many sacks and TFLs as everybody else, but you dang sure better get good solo tackles. Like, if you're, gonna, if you're saying this guy is an elite nose tackle, that's what you're saying. He needs to have really high solo tackles. And so far, Via hasn't really done that. You know, look far. He's a great athlete. I mean, you know, and I do know that there's going to be people doing the Don Torrey Poe thing, but again, even Don Torrey Poe had a certain level of production. And I think there's a lot of revisionist history of a lot of these tackles, uh, defensive tackles, or Marcel Darius. Oh, Don Marcel Darius was a productive. You know, again, he was. You know, like, sure, he didn't have 10 sacks or whatever, but. You know, I'm comparing him to other defensive tackles. I'm not comparing him to edge players. I'm comparing him to guys that play his position. And, um, you know, and, and when you do that, you start to kind of see the differences, I guess, in terms of what a really productive defensive tackle looks like and what a not-so-productive defensive tackle looks like. So who are the guys that look most like him among the defensive tackle? I know you made fun of them, but if you're just ranking them, Right. Well, uh, I mean, at this point, I mean, at this point, I would, I would say, I mean, Derek Nandy, I think, is still in the case to be a, a really good defensive tackle, uh, not a great defensive tackle. Well, I do think he's still in the in the sort of realm of being that type of guy. I do know that there's been some hype on Maurice Hurst, you know, from Michigan. There's and, been, yeah, and he's he's looking kind of like, when I was looking at his production data and looking at his other sort of stuff, um, and also his film, he's looking sort of like a, in between a, a really great you know, starter to, like, a fringe guy. I don't think he's going to be as big as him. There's been a lot of people comparing him to Gerald McCoy, and he's not Gerald McCoy. But but he could be. uh, There was a a defensive tackle from, uh, I think, Northwestern. uh, uh, What's his name? Um, Luis Castillo, I think. Oh, Luis Castillo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and his production is very similar uh, to him uh, in terms of his, like, overall production profile. And then a a less productive guy than that was the tag team mate of Seymour at Georgia uh, in – what was his name? Uh, He was on the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's defensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. um, uh, uh, You don't mean Stroud? Hold on, I'm trying to get – yeah, Marcus Stroud. Yeah. Marcus Stroud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. He's another. He's another guy that that. And he, again, these are high end versions of that. 
So, like, we don't know how athletic he is, really. We don't really know any of that stuff. Um, the only thing that really – yeah, I mean, he's – right right now he's in that kind of mold of that type of player, which isn't elite. It could be good, you know. Like, Luis Castillo was a – you know, he was a good defensive tackle. Marcus, uh, Marcus Stroud was, you know, definitely – Oh yeah, I mean Marcus Stroud made a couple of Pro Bowls. He was a good player. Yeah, so like those are definitely some you know upside potential sort of uh, you know uh, goals, I guess you know or you know something like that. Um, but other than no, but other than those guys, there really isn't um, you know there really isn't a ton of guys that are really again. There's a lot of no tackles, and that and that's kind of my worry, I guess, with this class. I have nothing against nose tackles. It's just that when everybody types in nose tackles as the top guys and they're not producing like elite nose tackles, then I start to I start to worry a little bit because people like as much as people I mean again, as much as nose tackles are great, which they are, you can't deny that if you had a JJ Watt, for example, versus a nose tackle, I mean like it's like this. If if I say, Hey Bill, you know, you have a choice, you could get the elite uh, 3-4 defensive end, you know, that you can line up everywhere and he's just going to demolish people. Or you could get the really, really solid, good nose tackle type. Now, of course, you, being a Pittsburgh guy, you go, oh, I'll take the nose tackle type. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, if you're a defense and you, and you really don't care about, you know, you, just, you need impact now. Like, right now, we need to get impact. We need to make a difference. You would kind of go with, the guy who's getting his hands on the balls more often, I guess, is the best way to put it, you know, sure. in terms of getting sacks and TFLs and, you know, and stuff like that. And that's kind right. of the big difference, you know. Yeah, when you've got a guy like the guy you're talking about, I mean, the guy who can sometimes, you know, get a strip sack, scoop it, and run 32 yards, go over to the nene, I mean, you can't have anything to do that. Uh, you can't ask, heck, even Vince Wilfork to do that. But, though, he, he might come. I mean, he might, he might not get 32 yards. He might get you 12. Uh, but, but, yeah, so, I mean, it, it, when you're talking about sex of appeal, this is sort of what you're talking about, there are very few positions on defense with less sex appeal than those. I mean, maybe no position with less sex appeal than that. Yeah. So unless you are a true, you know, like Doyen, a real, you know, a person who really loves 3-4 defense and knows that you don't really have a 3-4 defense if you don't have a, a really good well, that, that's, that's what people don't get. get. You, you don't. If you have a three-four defense, you don't have a. You don't really have a three-four defense if you don't have a nose tackle. And you also don't really have a 3-4 defense if you don't have 3-4 defensive end, which is asking for very, very specific demands of that position. And if you're drafting 6'2", 6'3", three-tech types to be your 3-4 defensive ends, then you might as well just not be a 3-4 defense anymore, you know, because the, the tenets you're trying to do, the idea of taking up multiple blockers and keeping linebackers clean to do their business, and, you know, creating more pressure inside to get those pass rushes on the edge to also get some more one-on-one opportunities, that stuff ain't there no more because you're trying to be a three-tech. You know, when, when you're the size of a three-tech, 
and your mentality is, well, I have to get to the quarterback, get upfield, penetrate, penetrate, because you know that I can't stay stout because I don't have the length or the leverage ability to do that because of my height and my, you know, my weight. Um, I could, you know. I couldn't bring myself to be mad at Ziggy Hood. It wasn't his fault. Why would anyone right. think Ziggy Hood could play high technique? It was. It drove me nuts. Right. I mean, it's not his fault that you're that you're putting. You know. I mean, it's not anybody's fault. It's not. It's not the three tech's fault that you're doing that. It's just that you have to realize that three four defenses require very specific things that college football is just not really providing anymore, you know, um, which I get it, which again, I do think is why the, the Vita Villas and the Jerron Payne and, you know, all these other guys are getting so much hype, I guess, is because, Hey, you know, this is, this could be the, the main, this could be what makes the three, four defense go type of thing. You know, like it, this could be it. This could be the guy that pulls everything else together, you know, type of thing. Um, and then he gets injured, and then you don't have a backup for him, and then you're just kind of sad because, you know. But, um, but yeah, it's very low supply, high demand, uh, I would say. But, yeah, I mean, I would say that that's the only thing with this defensive tackle class. It's, it's looking to be a very nose tackle heavy class. And, again, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's just it's not exactly a position that you drop a top 10 pick on, you know, or a top 15 pick on even, you know, um, unless you're, you know, unless you have a, a unless you are a three, four defense and this is what you need to, to make um, that defense go. Yes. It's frustrating because you are a team that really wants to be a three, four team and you need a, a nose tackle, you're you're kind of in trouble. Is <laughs> what I'm coming to as a conclusion. You're in some trouble. Yeah, because they're just the supply ain't there. Yeah, they don't. The up tempo offense makes them kind of lose. And again, the up tempo offense and all the other kind of stuff that just it kind of takes it out of the. You know, you're you're bit. That simple offense is making defenses more interaction, you know, reactionary, uh, uh, reactionary defenses. And as a result, you're trying to get, you know, speed on the field more so than, uh, you know, power on the field. Um, and as a result, you're going to end up with nose tackles. that aren't really nose tackles. Nose tackles in Maine. Nose tackles are where they line up, but they're not exactly doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so let's talk the exterior of the defense. Uh, whether you want to call them edge players or pass rushers or whatever, pressure players, whatever term you want to use, tell me about the other guys and who made you know, dramatic move, who's much better than they were in terms of uh, the work you do. Well, surprisingly, there hasn't really been much of a change. Um, you know, Bradley Chubb is still Bradley Chubb, same kind of Bradley Chubb from last year. Uh, Harold Landry still Harold Landry. Uh, guys like Arden Key has kind of fallen off a cliff production-wise. 
Um, and then you have all the stuff coming out that I guess he's fat now. I don't know. I mean, I was reading um, an article. It was talking about how scouts are worried about weight gain, you know, him being, you know, gaining weight that's kind of bad weight. Um, and then you have people chiming in. And I think there's other people chiming in. Well, the, the coach has had a concerted effort for him to put on more weight. But then I go, yeah, but a man can only put on so much weight. You know, like he, like you just go oh, eat everything you want, you know, and to put on weight, and then you're gonna start putting on bad weight. So it's um, I don't know what's happened to Harden Key, but he just hasn't really been productive this year. Uh, you know, he's been listed. I mean, they're saying he's like 270, and he was Whoa. listed at like 239 last year. So if he put on 30 pounds, wow. a yeah. lot of that weight. But, yeah, a lot of that weight, if he did put on 30 pounds, a lot of that weight is bad weight, you know. Um, so, because there's no way, I mean, I, I as you know, being a data guy, I've done the science, there's no way you put on 30 pounds of muscle within three months. It's just not possible. You know, even if, even if you're taking stuff, even if you're taking illegal substances, Virtually impossible to put on 30 pounds per month weight um, in that short short amount of time. So, um, yeah, so that kind of stuff happened. But, yeah, in terms of the edge class, I mean, it's I, – I you know, I like Bradley Chubb. I like Harold Landry. I like all those guys. Uh, but am I going to spend the top – you know, am I going to spend a top ten pick on Bradley Chubb? I don't know. You know, am I going to spend a, a top ten pick on Harold Landry? I don't know, and I think that's the uh, issue is because we get into these edge, we get into these drafts where we kind of go, you know, well, you need to take an edge rusher in the top ten because that's what you do, you know, and that's how you end up with guys like Barkevius Mingo or how you end up with guys like, you know, uh, who's the other the the Dolphins uh, pass rushers that they drafted. Um, in my, oh, uh, Deion Jordan, you know. So you get into Deion Jordan territory. I'm not going to say that this is what this class – I don't think this class is going to turn into that, but I do think there might be some Deion Jordan-ness to this class where you'll see guys like uh, the Ohio State uh, defensive end, for example, who might get – he might go to the combine and do really well, and then people gush over him and then you end up getting a Bradley Chubb or Harold Landry late first, and then you end up outproducing that guy, you know, or, or even day two even, you know. Uh, I, I really think that might be what this class ends up being is the top ten edge rushers will disappoint, you know, despite Landry and Chubb are the top guys. To me, they're the top dudes. But I think the NFL might take a different approach because that's what they always do. Okay, so moving on, uh, linebacker, the, you know, Will linebacker, Mike linebacker, and Sam linebacker, so I'll just put it that way, the traditional old school Sam, Will, Mike linebackers, right, you know, four, three defense, how are we going to drive them? How about those guys? Uh, who's made the greatest strides, and once again, are there 
maybe guys who are headed in the wrong direction based on the work we do. Um, hmm. I mean, honestly, it's there's been a lot of guys who pretty much have done the same um, thing. You know, guys like Josie jo- uh, Jewell from Iowa, he's pretty much been really – he was really productive last year. He was really productive this year. Uh, Malik Jefferson, I think, made a big improvement because he was going from a guy that was looking – honestly, he was looking like Miles Jack all over again. And then he made a big jump in his uh, production this year um, into, into at least the all-pro potential sort of area based on his production. Um, and then you got guys like DJ Calhoun and Christian Sand. Those guys made improvements. And there's a ton of guys that were really productive last year that are still productive this year. Guys like Jonathan Celestin from Minnesota and um, uh, uh, Jelani Tavai, you know, from Hawaii. Uh, Ro, uh, Roquan Smith from Georgia. He's another guy that's gotten a big amount of uh, improvement. But there's definitely guys that I just can't get on the bus, like Jerome Baker from Ohio State. I just can't really – people talk about Roquan Smith being undersized. Jerome Baker is a different type of undersized. <laughs> like, it's um, it's just not uh, – he's a safety, like, and not even – he's like a free safety. He's not even okay. a strong safety. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to put it in perspective, how do we stack up to a guy like Mike Tyson, the safety from Cincinnati last year? Because they, they look physically similar to me. Yeah, I mean, production-wise, they're pretty much the same uh, with Mike Tyson having better pass deflection data. And that's because he was actually able to to do that. Like, I don't see Baker really making a ton of impact in terms of when the ball's in the air. Like, again, people talk about him being a coverage linebacker, but don't you eventually have to start breaking up passes and playing coverage, you know? Like, I'm just – and I understand, believe me, you're a little linebacker trying to cover these big tight ends, but at the end of the day, the big tight end is going to win. So, what basically what I'm asking is, uh, you know, what what exactly is it that you do around here, Jerome Baker? Because he's he's not exactly – uh, tackling ton. Uh, he's not exactly uh, getting interceptions that much. He's not exactly getting a bunch of sacks. Like he's he's not exactly getting a bunch of pass deflections. So, you know what what are what are you doing here, Jerome Baker, Mister Late First Rounder, according to the media, Jerome Baker. So yeah, so there's there's definitely some questions with uh, a guy like that. Um, yeah, but yeah, for the most part, I mean, there's there's been uh, I mean, most of the linebackers that were productive last year, productive this year. As I keep telling you, I really haven't seen any elite pursuit guys. A guy that has really, I mean, and again, even Malik Jefferson. Jefferson has great athleticism. I still don't think the mental clock is all the way there yet, but he is improving. So I mean, it's a good sign. But um, but he's like the only guy that really kind of sticks out. And and Roquan Smith is a guy I've seen, and I do like him, but he just lacks that power uh, that I really like in a linebacker. And, again, it's a rare thing to find a linebacker that can run fast and is powerful, but that's, you know, I don't know what else to say. Like, that, that's what makes a great linebacker a great linebacker, and he, and 
Smith definitely is pretty instinctive, can move, but he's just not exactly the most powerful guy ever. Yeah. Um, anybody maybe who, you know, not one of the quote-unquote usual suspects who's putting up impressive numbers, maybe someone who isn't as well-known, who is producing like nobody's business? Right. Well, you have uh, uh, Leighton Vander Esch from Boise State. Um, he's definitely a guy that's producing pretty heavy. Uh, Frank uh, Gienda from San Jose State. Uh, I forgot what the tackles total was. I think he's had like 30, I think it's like 30, I don't think it's 30 solo tackles a game, but it's like, it's really up there. Like he's been getting a ton of tackles each week. Um, with uh, Frank uh, Ginda from San Jose State. But, yeah, he's definitely one of those guys kind of like that. Um, Tony Lashley from uh, Idaho. He's another guy that's been doing pretty well in terms of that uh, department. Uh, There's a Kansas guy, Joe uh, Deneen, who has a lot of things in common with another Kansas linebacker, you know, who has kind of had some, you know, uh, had had a kind of a weird thing, uh, but yeah, those are, those, I guess those would be like the under radar guy, and they're the under radar guys because they don't play at a major school. So, uh, and, and and I'm not saying Boise State isn't a major school, but I mean most people don't watch Mount West Conference or or Kansas for that matter. Most people don't watch Kansas. I think that's a better way to phrase that. So, yeah, sir. Okay. And how about safety? So the the fact is that that seems to be the, the place where it takes the longest for people to plant their flag. I mean, Jamal Adams, I guess, is the guy where most people planted their flag last year, but people get out early on certain positions, but they tend to get out really late on the safeties, whatever. Right. Well, I, I think it's just because they don't watch the position or they watch it, but they don't have a frame. I don't know. Like, there's just a lot – there's a lot of moving pieces of safety is the best way to put it. So it's it's kind of a – I don't know. And I'm not saying I'm a safety expert, far from it. But I do think it's one of those positions that uh, is, you know, a little bit in, in terms of what you're looking for. Because you could be those guys that's just looking for ball skills or – you're just looking for this. You're looking for that. When it's like a com- it's a combination of all that stuff. But yeah, in terms of safeties in this class, um, guys that have improved. Armani Watts, I think, has improved a lot. You know, from Texas A&M, um, he's really kind of upped his pass deflection uh, production this year, and uh, has has done well in terms of, you know in terms of that particular thing. Um, Jordan Whitehead has kind of taken a step back a bit production wise. Um, he wasn't the best production guy last year, 100%. He definitely had good solo tackles, uh, but not really the best term pass selection. And this year just hasn't really been that existent. And Whitehead was the guy that I was seeing getting like early, like late first round kind of hype with him. So he hasn't really made the hype 100%. Um, Ronnie Harrison definitely been – uh, pretty productive in terms of that. In terms of new guys that have been showing up, uh, Lucas Dennis from Boston College is a guy that, that's been really showing up production-wise. 
Uh, Mark McLaurin from Mississippi State. Here's another guy that's kind of like that. Uh, Justin Reed, uh, J.R. Reed from Georgia, uh, you know, Derwin James, and uh, Carter Jacobs from Cincinnati. He's another guy that's also been doing pretty well. But for the most part, most of the safeties from last year are pretty much kind of in the same kind of boat. Um, and but there has been a lot of new faces or new names that have really popped up, like a lot of guys I just mentioned. You know, those, those are guys that are kind of new names that have been really, really productive for the first half of the season. And isn't there a South Florida safety who's played really well this year? Oh, South Florida. Um, well, let me see. Um, well, maybe you consider a nickelback or something. Um, uh, wait, are you talking about Dietrich Nichols? Is that what I'm thinking about? I thought Nichols was a corner. But they have another guy who's sort of a, you know, a honey badgerish kind of guy. He's only probably about 190 pounds, about five foot nine, but he plays all over the defense. I think he's listed as a safety. Oh, yeah, at, 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 uh, at South Florida or South Alabama? South Florida. You have that. I think it's probably Nichols. Because he plays, he plays a ton of, um, of slot, you know, inside, uh, like a ton. Like he's, I don't, I rarely ever see him lined up um, on on the boundary. But okay. I mean, it may be somebody different. But that you're, you're saying like South Florida corner slash safety guy that you know plays the honey badger. Probably listed as a safety, but he plays. He's a captain on their defense. He plays all over the place. I mean, he is essentially their Tyron Matthews. Um, I've right. seen blitz. Um, I've seen him cover slots, tight ends, running backs. I've seen him play deep middle. He's, I've seen him play basically everywhere in the secondary at one point or another. And I, I maybe it is, I don't know. I have, to go, I have to go back and look at my notes. I don't remember who it is, but I remember thinking, yeah, who's this guy? <laughs> he kept showing up, I mean, but showing up in different places. <clears throat> You know, everywhere from very close to the line of scrimmage to, you know, eight, 17 yards, you know, lining up 17 yards deep. But, but yeah, I'll have to go back and see if that's if it's Nichols or not. But it, I know he's a he's a redshirt senior and he's a captain. I know. I'll have to go back and check to uh, see if it's Nichols or not. But I like him. <laughs> I remember that much. I remember really liking him. Okay. Uh, I guess. Do you do anything with like return specialists, or or is that not a separate thing, a separate enough thing for you to have? Yeah, I I haven't done anything with return specialists. I haven't done kicker stuff yet because I do have data to do kicker stuff and punter and punting stuff, but um, I just haven't done it yet because uh, I don't say nobody cares, but I, I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather wait till the end of the season. To uh, to release that, I guess is the best to put because I, I don't think there's a lot of people, you know, lining up to do punch, punch or watch. 
you know, or, or place kicker watch. Like, you know, James, I've been looking for some place kickers to watch. Can you hook me up? I don't usually get those questions a lot, so. Um, okay. If, if any at all. Like, I, don't, I, I ne- I've never been asked, hey, James, where are the punters at? So, <laughs> for the most part, I'm just. Pickers are the people, too. Okay. Uh, got it. All right. Well, then I guess we'll finish up with cornerbacks. And, and as you say, you don't make a distinction between slot corners and guys that play outside. Though I do know you talk about that there's a zone in man corners, mostly when it comes to physical testing. But, uh, but yeah. let's, let's go through Who are the corners? that have improved the most and of course if there's corners who have you know on the been on the back slide or whatever I guess we'll talk about them as well. Right. Um well in terms of in terms of corners that improved the most, I would honestly say Tavares McFadden and I, I know McFadden has gotten a lot of um yep. uh, I don't want to say hate. But there's been a lot of people going, oh, you're overrated and all this kind of stuff. And, yeah, sure, I, I, I think at the beginning of the season he was a little overrated. But I do think he's improved a lot when it comes to solo tackle uh, production. And he's continued that this year. So, like, from that perspective, um, I think he has improved a lot uh, in terms of, uh, you know, production uh, kind of stuff for the most part. Um, same thing goes with Lamont Marshall. Um, same thing goes with um, who's that other uh, Arian Springs, you know, from Oregon. Um, yeah, you know, you know, I'm a big you know, Arian Springs fan. I I haven't seen much of him. I mean, I, I've seen him sort of a smattering of him before, but I, I didn't pay much attention until very recently, and now I've become a big fan. Yeah. And and he's definitely been one of those guys who, um, you know, improved a lot. Um, and there's a lot of new names. I mean, there's there's been guys like you know uh, Cameron Moore from Boston College. You know, he's he's kind of a guy that kind of broke out this year to a certain extent. Uh, Josh Jackson from Iowa. Uh, Josh uh, Okonyi, I think Okonyi from Purdue. He's a Purdue cornerback. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's a guy definitely uh, produced. I think the Louisville game he made some pretty good decent plays. <laughs> pretty good in terms of uh, run support. Um, Mari Henderson from uh, Wake Forest. Uh, Dane Jackson is another guy that kind of popped up this year. There's some Alabama corners even that have done that. Uh, my only issue with the cornerback class, and you know I haven't watched every single corner yet. I'm getting close to that though, but is a lot of the guys that I do like have some some little nitpicky kind of production things here and there. You know, kind of like um, like I do really like the Ohio State corner uh, in Denzel Ward, but I don't like his tackling ability. So, like, I, I do like his ball skills. I think he's he's a fun player in terms of when he's working in space and um, finding the ball and making plays on the ball. But He's not exactly the most physically powerful, you know, corner, you know, from that kind of perspective. Right. So, you know, there's, there's kind of stuff like that. And there is a corner that I just want to, I guess the last one I'll mention, and he's not even draft eligible yet, but uh, the LSU corner, uh, I think 
Andres Williams, I think is his name. Um, yep. He looked. He's all over the second, and yeah, I think Williams is the other one. Yeah, but Williams uh, has, to me, I he's he's looked pretty dang good. At least the times I saw him. Um, he's a redshirt freshman though, but he's a guy that was just randomly showing up, you know, um, for whatever reason, <laughs> you know, on film. Uh, yeah, I'm not even watching him, and he's just kind of showing up, so making big plays. So he's another guy that's kind of like that. Right. Okay. Are there any guys who have gone the other direction? You know, maybe they were looking good, you know, last year, and then something's happened, or you know, moving in the direction that makes you think they're less likely to succeed. Um, and not really. I mean, uh, MJ Stewart, I think, has taken a little bit of a step back production-wise, but not as like not a huge step, but just a little bit. And there are a couple guys like Ryan Pulley from Arkansas or um, Malcolm Parrish from Georgia, who I don't think is starting. I don't know if he's injured or not, but he's a he's a guy that um, hasn't really done it. And of course, Jari Alexander from LS, from uh, Louisville, excuse me. Um, he's another guy that. Um, Production-wise, hasn't really done a ton this year, um, and I think some of that has to do with injury and some, you know, some other sort of stuff. Got it. And just sort of in general, what do you think about Alexander? Because a lot of people, CB one, I, I don't see a first-round player when I look at him. But once again, you know, it's early in the process. Tell me about the things you've seen when you've watched him, and, and what do you think the future holds. Well, I don't really think he's QB1. Um, I, I do agree with that. Um, I think I think he has a good size, uh, and there's definitely some ball skills kind of stuff that's kind of interesting. But I just don't think he's the most aggressive tackler, nor do I think he's the most athletic guy ever. I mean, he's definitely, you know, somewhat athletic, but he's not, like, super-duper athletic. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really – I mean, there's a ton of corners in this class. So, like, I'm not ready to plant my flag into any one yet, you know. So, it's, it's kind of my feelings right now. But um, I, I wouldn't necessarily pick him based on what I've seen so far. So, Right. Right. Is there a corner or a couple of corners that maybe people might be missing out on that you would advise that they they check out? And I like what I've seen from Greg Stroman. I mentioned to you Jalen Davis is a guy that's really grown on me. I think he's you know going to be in my top ten. Uh, we've talked about Devon Davis, who is you know amongst other things super young, uh, be a true senior, and you know. Decent size, uh, probably better suited to be like a cover two or a cover three corner than, you know, than a true man up all the time guy. But I've liked, I've liked him. But yeah, just take me through some of the guys. If there's guys that maybe people don't have on their radar yet, 
but they, they perhaps they should. Well, uh, you know, the Purdue corner, um, I think he's definitely uh, Josh Okoni uh, um, is, is a guy that I think uh, is, is pretty impressive. What um, was I really impressed by? I mean, there's definitely guys like Eric Lee Jr. from Nebraska who looked pretty decent. Um, Jordan White from SMU. I mean, he's a guy that I was, I really liked from last year, and he hasn't really done anything different this year. Um, he's still not the fastest guy ever, but as, as a zone corner, again, as a boom corner, um, which is uh, uh, kind of a funny term to say these days, but, yeah, as that sort of position, I, I think he uh, can definitely, uh, you know, do that position pretty well. But, um, but yeah, for the most part, those would be the only real guys. I mean, in terms of guys that nobody you know, knows about or talks about or, you know, stuff like that, because nobody really talks about those guys, you know, for the most part. Okay. Got it. Are there guys that you haven't gotten to that you really want to? That, you know, maybe we can discuss them just because you haven't had a chance to, to actually study them yet, but you really... You know, I said they're on your list. Oh, yeah. Well, there's tons of guys. Um, I mean, Dane Jackson from Pittsburgh is definitely one of those guys. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley from Tennessee. Gerald uh, Gerard Franklin from Tulane. Ron Smith from San Diego State is definitely a guy that I kind of want to check out. Um, Anthony Everett from Alabama. Holton Hill from Texas. Oh, hello. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Jarrell Foster from Kent State. You know, he's definitely one of those guys as well. Uh, who else? Oh, I have a ton of people on my list. Oh, a lot of stuff I could catch up with. Um, Mike Jones from Temple. He's definitely one of those guys. Uh, Juan Thornhill from Virginia. And hmm. Josh Miller from Ball State, I guess. So I guess those would be a lot. It's a lot of guys. I have other dudes, but um, yeah, it's a lot of guys. Okay. And one last thing, you mentioned Virginia. Uh, when we talk safeties, and I guess I, I was talking about this earlier. Uh, where does Quinn Blanding stack up? I know, obviously, you know, he's had various uh, ups and downs this time at UVA, but how does he, how does he look based on, um, on the work you do? Well, as of right now, I mean, his his production's fine. I mean, he has a high solo tackle number, a high intercept. Like, in terms of his production number, he's pretty much hit every single production number that you would want a safety to hit. Uh, my only questions are athleticism-based, mostly. Um, those are my only real questions um, with blending. So, um, I, but as far as production, he's pretty much hit every single sort of production mark that you would want a, a safety to hit um, at his position. It's just a matter of, um, you know, how athletic he is and those other sort of, you know, marks. 
check that out. I once again I've liked them on tape. And you know, I get the feeling it's probably a mid to upper four or five guy and we'll see how he tests in terms of the other the other testing. But yeah, that's the that's the guy I want to make sure we we've had a test. So in terms of the guys who have the, the highest source for, I mean, the only the sort of usual suspects like well, you know, Barkley, that's sort of a huge one. Everybody you know, Steve Sam is he's a special, you know, yeah. Not really not really a news story. If that's that's a you know, that's not um that's not Dog, you know, that's dog bites man, not man bites dog, obviously. But are there any other guys that you, as you said, you're not ready to plant your flag in certain places. Are there guys or, or prospects about which you are the most confident other than Saquon Barkley? That would be close it out. Well, in terms, of, uh, in terms of other prospects that I'm, like, really high on, um, and that's that's really tough. I mean, I still really do like uh, the wide receivers in this class. I mean, guys like Michael Gallup, uh, I think, is a really really good wide receiver uh, for the most part. Uh, the offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman, you know, Quentin Nelson and uh, Will uh, Hernandez. Uh, those are those are some really uh, pretty decent interior offensive linemen. And in terms of the defensive side of football, I do really like Bradley Chubb. I do think Harold Landry is really impressive. As far as special players, though, I mean, if that's sort of the correct thing, the only special player I've actually seen this year for the most part has been Saquon Barkley. Uh, Quentin Nelson definitely gets into that sort of above-average guard that I've ever watched on film. But, uh, yeah, the only – Special, special guy has really been Barkley for the most part. In every other position, there's definitely guys that I really like. I think are going to be good starters, but not exactly elite. Com. I recently posted a midseason report for the QBs in this class. So just looking at production numbers for all those guys at the midpoint of the season on top of my metric watch list, uh, which just has all the names of the players in the FBS that have popped production-wise. And, of course, you can also follow me on Twitter at uh, Geometric. And you can also check out the Common Man Football Show. Uh, on YouTube, uh, where I do uh, daily videos on the NFL, and uh, and yeah, that's uh, really about it. Okay. Well, I, I look very much forward to seeing you know what more, what else uh, comes out of some of the internet too. I you know I, I started trying to sort of take a long hard look at the safeties, and you know some of it sort of borrowing or stealing or tripling you from some of the, the things that I've always seen you do uh, to try to 
uh, you know, sort of see if I can find or discover some things about the safety classes. Of the, it, it seems to be a group that people aren't talking much about and don't seem to have a lot of excitement and things like that. So, you know, maybe I can find somebody out there or get people a more excited or interested or whatever. But, yeah. Uh, it is always a pleasure, always an honor, and you know, and I, I literally learned something sometimes, several stuff uh, every single time you do the show. So there's always some, you know, some little piece of magic, some little ball, ball that you, you drop on the show. You know, I was always thankful for that, and I, I look very much forward to the next time we are uh, here together. And Jim, uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening. And we'll do this again, sir, in one Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.